the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Wednesday. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel. I am the pastor of Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Um, We are grateful that you tuned in today. May the Lord bless our time. If you have any questions uh, about anything that's going on, all you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. Uh, if you have, uh, if you're outside the local area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, at six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa dot com, uh, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car on this cold Wednesday. The safest way to do that is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit one button, call now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time for the main number, 340-9585. Hey, because it's Wednesday night, we've got an Old Testament Bible study here. I'd appreciate your prayers. It's what I believe is, at least for those of us who live in um, the time and the place that we do, uh, one of the more important Bible studies uh, that I could possibly give, it's uh, Isaiah chapter 5. And while it's uh, a prophecy that isn't for the United States of America, you can sort of lay that whole chapter as a template. Uh, and, and every nation in the world that's ever fallen uh, away from God, uh, these judgments have come on those nations. And I don't believe we in the United States of America are any different. So uh, that's tonight. Uh, at 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. You can watch it online at calvarysa.com. And then, of course, tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with me, ladies. If you uh, need any encouragement or have any questions of her, she will be here on the date day edition of the program. Let me get to some questions that have been sent while we uh, hopefully get some phone calls. Uh, the first one, Scott, uh, from our email inbox. And, Scott, I apologize. We got this very late in the program yesterday. Uh, And I didn't get a chance to do it. Um, Scott's question is, will the Lord change the physical landscape of the earth for the millennial kingdom? I could see how he might. I use Peleg in Genesis 10.25 as a point of reference. When man was sinful, God split them up. But now, since God is ruling and reigning in the millennial kingdom, uh, it might be where the earth becomes one big continent again, uh, once known as the Pangaea. I think is the pronunciation, Scott. Uh, a couple of things. Um, yes, we know the physical landscape of the earth is going to change. Um, there's going to be a restoration of sorts in the millennial kingdom. Now, in the new heaven, in the new earth, there'll be no seas, so that's going to be a huge change. Uh, but we don't know and can't anticipate what kind of physical landscape um, during the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. It will be this earth. It will be sort of a renewed. It won't be like it was in the Garden of Eden. Uh, but it will be as close as renewal uh, can 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 make it. Um, so, what that physical change might be? Now, the, the 
I started with that because it's an easy one. Uh, I don't understand your use of Peleg in Genesis 10.25 as a point of reference, Scott. I, I think that's kind of um, stretching things. Peleg, Peleg was uh, one of the notable num- men in that time who, uh, quite frankly, um, um, his name means uh, it was divided. Uh, I think it could also be translated, it was shaken. Um, he was a, a man who lived at a time where there was a, a an earthquake that was so severe that it did cause catastrophic uh, changes in the physical landscape of the earth. Um, the other thing I want to address is this, this reference to um, a supercontinent, um, Pangaea, um, um, you said it might be where the earth becomes one big continent again, once known as Pangaea. Now, what I want you to do is be really careful with that, because um, I'm, I'm going to read uh, what, what the Pangaea is for our audience. It says, uh, it was a supercontinent that existed during the late uh, Paleozoic and early Mesozoic eras. Uh, it assembled from earlier continents, unit, continental units approximately 335 million years ago, and it began to break apart about 175 million years ago. Now, I'm just reading Wikipedia, um, Scott, but, but whenever you see anything that talks about 335 million or 175 million years ago, it's just utter nonsense. So th- th- there wasn't a supercontinent. That's just... Um, uh, a pseudoscientific explanation for uh, things that people don't understand when they want to rule God out. So, Scott, uh, be very careful about your sourcing. Uh, the, the, the world is not uh, hundreds of millions or billions of years old. Um, there, there was no supercontinent. Um, God separated the land masses uh, by water. He did that in the first week of creation. And the the, uh, the the idea that um, the ideas rather that science comes up with to explain uh, away a god of creation um, are are horrible. So uh, be very careful about what you're reading and what you're holding on to in terms of of authority uh, figures or authority uh, authorities and in information. So. No such thing as a supercontinent 175 or 335 million years ago. Here is a question that came in uh, today from our email inbox from Philip. Pastor Ron, I want to ask a general question, if I may, and forgive me if it sounds silly or inappropriate. Philip, there's no silly or inappropriate questions, uh, only those that are unasked. Uh, first question is, what are your thoughts on men getting a vasectomy? Is that a personal thing and an individual choice, or should we not mess with our bodily functions as intended by God? Uh, I, I think your explanation, uh, Philip, is is fine. It's a very personal thing. Romans fourteen twenty three says anything not of faith is sin. Um, you know, we've got a lot of people in our church where the men have had vasectomies uh, when they just kept having babies, and it just got to the point where that was enough, and they were confident in that in the Lord. So it, it's it's not a problem at all. Um, if you feel led to do that, uh, do it. If you if the children you have are enough uh, and you're at peace with that between you and the Lord, that's okay too. Uh, one of the things I, I want to mention here is we need to be very careful, and, and sometimes Christians are guilty of trying to make people feel guilty uh, with a, a rather crude understanding of Scripture. By that I mean, well, the Lord says, be fruitful and multiply, don't you trust the Lord? Um, big families aren't for everybody. Uh, those who have big families that I know are thrilled with them, but at the same time, um, it's not for everybody. So uh, if, if you want to use birth control, if you want to get a vasectomy, um, then, then feel free to do that. That's, that's a very personal and individual thing, and it's just between you and the Lord, and nobody else should have any kind of a say-so in terms of that. Um, it's your decision. The second question is, if I was to bring my nine-year-old child with me to Bible study, are there better days to do so in regards to what the church has to offer my child? For example, is there an actual Bible study for my child on Wednesday and Friday nights or just on Monday? Um, Philip, any time that you, and I'm assuming you're asking about coming to our church, visiting our church, 
Uh, anytime we're here, we have child care. And by that, I mean they're doing Bible studies. They're learning about Jesus. So whether it's tonight, we'll have a, a, a full crew uh, back there ministering to the kids. Uh, kids of all ages, by the way. Not just babysitting or playing games. They're going to learn uh, the Bible. They're going to hear about Jesus. Uh, and so it doesn't matter. Sundays, all three services, we've got the same thing going. Um, and on Monday nights, of course, when it's just the men and the women who eventually separate into different areas after worship, um, we've got uh, people back there with your kids then, too. So uh, your kids are never uh, without something to do here as it relates to studying the Bible and learning about Jesus. Any night, any day that we're here, they are more than welcome to come. Thank you, Philip. I appreciate you asking the question. 340-9585. I left with the question yesterday that I wanted to come back to just for a minute. It was from Daniel. The question was, Pastor, what do you think about Gentiles converting to Messianic Judaism? And I only had a couple minutes to answer, and I probably shouldn't have even tried yesterday. Um... Uh, Daniel, I, I don't think personally there's any value at all in Gentiles becoming Jews. Um, in the first century church, I want you to think about this. Jews who converted to Christianity became Christians. And those that insisted on holding on to their Jewishness, they were the cause of all kinds of problem in the early church. Conflicts between Paul and Peter, uh, James and the others, the church at Jerusalem. Um, um, you know, the, 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 I think the Bible's crystal clear when Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant. He canceled the earlier code, a code that opposed us, the Bible says. And I understand the emotional attachment to Judaism. Our Savior was a Jew. Uh, the first church was entirely Jewish. I understand that, but um, when it comes to becoming something that the apostles of our church didn't become, I mean, they left the legalism and the restriction of the law and embraced the freedom in Christ. Paul says in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom you've been set free. Um, Why do we want to be encumbered by a, a, a code that was canceled? Jesus fulfilled it. He didn't just do away with it. He fulfilled it so he could then cancel it. And he invited us to enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ. I had somebody once tell me, Daniel, on a, I was invited, Paul and I, and this goes back many, many years now. It was uh, uh, somebody who was uh, a visitor often to our church. He wasn't a, um, a, a regular attender, but, but they would visit often. And they're wonderful people. Uh, and they were Jewish um, by birth, uh, but both had come to believe in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And they invited me to a bris. Uh, so Paul and I went to the bris. Uh, they were going to pray over the child, and um, they invited prophetic words, which was a dangerous thing to do. Um, but um, I was curious, and so some of the people who obviously weren't Jewish, I would ask them, so why are you a messianic Gentile rather than just a Christian? And the answers were almost sophomoreish. One man said to me, well, said, well, Pastor Ron, everybody knows before you can be a good Christian, you have to first be a good Jew. That's not true. So I don't think there's any value at all in converting to messianic Judaism. Um, I, I don't think there's anything to be gained. I think there's certainly a lot that can be lost. Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? You once were running the race, but now you're, you, you've been tripped up, is what the Greek says. And um, I, I just think we need to take the emotions out of it and enjoy who we are in Christ uh, instead of trying to become something that we're not. You know, when Jesus shed his blood, and the first century church, the martyrs of that church, shed their blood. It wasn't to become Jewish. It was to become born-again New Testament believers with all of the rights and promises given to people in the family of God. You know, in the first century church, Daniel, it cost people a lot to convert to Christianity. 
and we can go to the book of Hebrews, which we're studying here on Wednesday night, or on Friday nights now. Um, when when that church was being persecuted, Jews converting to Christianity, they were they were being given the opportunity to end the persecution simply by returning to Judaism. And Paul says, "Where are we going to go?" You know, you can't go back to the sacrifices of animals because it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin. And and I think that's uh, the approach that's best taken. Here is a question from Mary. Is it possible to get to a place where we will not sin? Mary, it's only possible because that place is heaven. As long as we're in this earth, in these flesh and blood fallen bodies, where the battle between flesh and spirit is intense and never ceases, uh, we will not be able to be without sin. Now, we should try, we should aim for perfection, but we also have to be realistic and understand that we're never going to get to perfection. And anybody who says that we can be sinless um, doesn't know their Bible, they're overestimating their own ability and underestimating the power of sin in their lives. So uh, we're just not going to get to that place. However, Mary, and this is what I really want to emphasize for you, as we press into Jesus, we become more and more like him. Jesus said that we're to walk worthy of the name Christ. Think about that. And Paul wrote that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Walk worthy of the name Christ. Then he said we're to also walk worthy of our calling. And we all have a calling. We're to walk as though that means something to us. Uh, and the more we walk with Jesus, the more like him we'll become. Now, here's the catch-22 of this. At least I've found this to work in my life. The closer I get to Jesus, Mary, the more aware I am of my own sin. It's almost as though the closer you get to the light, the more shadow of that light is cast on the darkness in our hearts. And I think that keeps us depending on Jesus. The man or the woman that thinks that, well, you know, I don't sin anymore or hardly at all. Well, that's a man or woman who thinks way too highly of themselves. And it's, it's, it's somebody who's in danger of being overcome by that very sin. In fact, I would suggest, Mary, that that already the sin of pride that's sort of trapped them in that place. So um, don't know what the genesis of the question was, Mary, but if it's because somebody's telling you you can be sinless or you can get to that place where you're without sin, don't listen to them at all. 340-9585. Here's a question from Amber. She asks, how is Jesus tempted like we are? And how did he overcome temptation? Uh, Amber, it's interesting. I had a radio listener, a dear lady who uh, listens all the time. Uh, she just this week emailed me with a similar question about the temptation of Jesus being tempted in all ways as we are. That does not mean that Jesus was tempted by every sin or with every sin that uh, you and I are tempted with. Jesus was not like us. He was human like us, but he was also God, unlike us. And so Jesus was uh, tempted by sin, but never tempted to sin. Let me explain. Um, Jesus had no sin nature. The Apostle John writes, in him is light, there's no darkness at all. Well, unfortunately, Amber, in you and me, there is a lot of darkness. Our flesh is evil. Our flesh wants to destroy us. And so when we're tempted by sin especially if it's something that we want to do, then we're also tempted to sin. Jesus, when he was tempted by sin, it never occurred to him. It wasn't a struggle in the sense, oh, I really want to do that, I really want to do that, but no, I'm not going to do it. It wasn't that at all. It was just, it was repulsive to him. Let me give you the explanation that I gave the, the lady who wrote to me from the, from the listener from the program this week. Um, uh, I've never had a drink in my life. Um, when I was in high school, like all of the dumb kids, um, we bought a six-pack of beer. I didn't know what I was buying. I bought Colt 45 malt liquor. I didn't know the difference. 
uh, and it was sort of a man thing, you know, to tie it onto your belt and you just pour one off and drink it. Well, the first time I opened one and put it in my mouth, it was so awful, so foul to me, I spit it out. And I just thought, well, that's the worst thing I've ever put in my mouth. And people say, oh, you'll get used to it. I thought, well, that's dumb. Who wants to get used to something that tastes that bad? And so from that time on, now remember, I'm I'm 16 years old then. Uh, For the rest of my life, that, that horrible, offensive taste was such that when people tempted me to drink, uh, I was never tempted to say yes. Um, it was like eating a bowl of dirt or something for me. And I just, no, who wants to do that? Well, all sin was like that to Jesus. All sin, Amber, was like that to Jesus. He said, my meat, what makes me go is doing the will of my Father. And so he, tempted by sin, just like you and me, in fact, tempted to a far greater degree and tempted directly face-to-face by the devil himself. Jesus tempted in the wilderness right after being filled with the Spirit of God after the, after the baptism of John. Um, but never, it wasn't a tough decision for him because he just didn't have any personal agenda. Uh, He was tempted again, we know, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, he asked three times, and three times he was told, no, this cup is the cup you'll drink. Nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done. But he was tempted to such a degree, and, and the terror of the cross was so horrible, that physically he nearly died. Angels had to come to attend him, or he would have died physically. But he never for a moment considered giving it. Wouldn't it be nice, Amber, if that was true of you and me when we're tempted to sin? If we just say, nope, I love Jesus too much, I want to stay with Jesus, then we'd be able to overcome the temptation. Now, Jesus overcame the temptation in the wilderness with the Word of God. When Satan would make these promises to him or or give him these propositions, Jesus would say, It is written, and three times he responded with the word of God. If we would do the same thing to our temptations, then we too could stand under the temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Amber says um, that um, you and I, whenever we're tempted to sin, that we're tempted just like everybody else has been tempted. He says it this way, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. In other words, everybody's gone through the same thing you and I go through. But then he says this, and God is faithful. My Bible doesn't say, and Pastor Ron is faithful. And God is faithful. He will not let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. And when I am tempted, he'll always provide a way out so that I can stand up under the temptation. In other words, I can prevail over that temptation. So it's very important that we, we, we look at that verse and we believe it with all of our heart. So when you're tempted, you have a choice to make. Jesus, my flesh wants to do this, but you say I don't have to do it. And that's the way you overcome temptation. It's just a choice that we make. When the thoughts keep coming, there's an enemy who's trying to destroy you. So when the thoughts keep coming, Paul writes to the Corinthians, take the thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. There's no sin in having the thought, but we're to take the thought captive and make it obedient for Christ. And if we'll do that, Amber, then um, we'll overcome temptation. We get hide the word in our heart. David writes, um, I've hidden the word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. If we'll, If we'll do that, then we'll be equipped when the temptations come. But most of all, it's just a decision. Day after day, hour by hour, sometimes minute by minute, to say yes to Jesus and no to our flesh. And if we'll do that, Paul says, we will reap the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. So we don't have to be overcome. Now, will we sin? Yeah, we'll sin. But we don't have to. Think about the next time you get really angry. You don't have to 
lose your temper, that moment you can pray on your breath, Lord, take control of my spirit, take control of my tongue. If you're unwilling to forgive somebody, just focus instead on how much Jesus loves them and how much he loved you. And if you'll do that, you'll be able to overcome temptation. So Jesus needed the word to overcome it. I believe that we need the word. If you'll do that, I hope that'll help, Pamper. Thank you for the question. Hey, we're inside one minute, so let me just once again um, sort of um, promote the Bible study tonight. I really believe Isaiah chapter 5 and 6 next week are, are... monumentally important Bible studies for different reasons, but monumentally important. So tonight here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 5. You're going to recognize the United States of America. Not that he was writing to or about the United States. Don't get me wrong. But where we live is where others have lived before us. We've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Phones have been quiet. If you have a question, we'd love to have it. See you in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the show. We have 30 minutes left. We would love your live calls and questions. I hear it's going to get warmer. Starting tomorrow a little bit, and then Friday through the weekend is supposed to be maybe even in the 70s. So, Please, Jesus, if you're not going to come quickly, make it warmer for us all. Here is a question from Patrick. I know God is a God of peace, so why have we always had war? Um, Patrick, it's a good question, but the answer is because men, women, we're not humans of peace. There's so much conflict, and we are the ones that instigate it, so it's not like God is, is... imposing a, a world at peace. You know, what do you want? What's your hopes and dreams? What do they always say in the beauty contest? World peace, that's not going to happen until the Prince of Peace comes. Now, Patrick, you know that when Jesus comes and rules and reigns on this planet, this earth, for a thousand years, there will be peace. Now, there will still be rebellion. Um, humans are still humans. And those who are in their flesh and blood bodies, the, the multiplied billions of people that are in their flesh and blood bodies, they're going to be disputes. But we're ruling and reigning with Jesus. We'll be sort of his instruments of enforcement. And uh, there will be swift justice, swift justice administered, and somehow we'll be a part of that. I saw a thing on the news today. There is a uh, a man who here in Texas who's uh, scheduled to be executed tonight. Uh, he's been on death row for 31 years. 31 years. They wonder why the death penalty is not a deterrent. Um, it won't be like that in the millennial reign. Uh, capital crimes will be judged instantly. The Bible says it'll be said to man if he died at the age of 100, it's like having an infant die. So when we understand that, that's the the deterrent value, but it's also necessary for peace. There has to be justice. And the only justice in the world is the Word of God. Because man has always rebelled against God. That's the source of war. So, Patrick, there's always going to be war right up until the very end when Jesus ends it. You can read about that in Revelation chapter 19. But remember, God didn't come to make peace between men. God became a human so that he could make peace between God and man. And then once we have made peace with God, then we can be emissaries of peace. But remember, we have no say-so in the world. 
what's going on in the war councils and the, the, the presidential palaces throughout the world. One day peace is going to come. It's just not going to be now. It's not man's fault. I mean, it's not God's fault, rather. It's It's been man's fault. It always will be man's fault. Patrick, war is one thing that's been consistent throughout our history from the time that Cain murdered Abel forward. Here is a question from John. He said, Pastor Ron, is there a waiting period between dying and being in heaven? John, for those of us who are believers, that's the only new born-again Christians are going to be the only people in heaven. There's no waiting period at all. Paul writes to the church at Corinth to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He wrote to the church at Philippi. He said to, to, to die and be with Christ is better by far as opposed to living here and serving the Lord. And yet at that particular time, the Spirit spoke to his heart and said, no, you're not done yet. You're, you're going to stay here. He goes, I'm convinced that I'll remain here in the body. Uh, but, but to die and be with Christ is better by far. It wouldn't be better by far if there was a holding period or a, a waiting period. Uh, so any concept of purgatory, uh, any hope for second chances, uh, any belief in the doctrine of soul sleep, none of that is biblical. In fact, it's it's antithetical to what the Bible teaches. So, John, you will be in a bed, a hospital, whoever it is you're going to meet Jesus from. And uh, just a, a nanosecond before you take your last breath, there's going to be an angel who will appear and he'll take you to be with Jesus. And it'll happen in an instant. In an instant. So no waiting period between dying and being in heaven. You know, John, when I was, and I don't mean to make light of this, I know people are going through difficult things, but um, when I was in the hospital for my second surgery, now the first surgery, um, they didn't put me under. I didn't. I didn't want to go under, and it wasn't necessary. They gave me a local anesthetic, and 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 uh, they they thought they would put me to sleep with with the medication they were giving me, but I said no. I'm going to stay awake, and I just wanted to pray and talk to Jesus. And my whole motivation was, um, uh, I want to be talking to Jesus. And if something goes wrong in the surgery, and I go to be with him, I can just carry on the conversation. Well, in the second, um, um surgery, uh, it was more complicated and they had to put me out. They had to put me under. And it's the first time in my life I've ever been under. And uh, the doctor was there talking to me. Uh, I, I had this picture of them putting a mask over my face, you know, and telling me to count backwards. Um, they don't do that anymore. They just put medicine um, in your arm uh, through, through an, uh, an IV. And uh, I was out. I had no knowledge of going to sleep. Next thing I knew, I'm in the waiting room or in the in the recovery room, and I'm I'm getting better. And and all I could think was, you know, that's what it's going to be like to die. I'm going to be with Jesus as I prepare to die, and then I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be with Him. And there's going to be no time that elapses between those two things. So rest assured, John, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord so grateful. What a gift. Henry wants to know, did Jesus create everything or did God? I heard a study you did on the radio that said Jesus created everything. Uh, Henry, well, well, Jesus created everything. Uh, John says there was nothing that was made that wasn't made by him. In fact, he holds all things together. Paul wrote the same thing in his letter to the Colossians. But that also means God created everything because Jesus is God. So don't forget that. You know, we, we, we talk about Jesus being the Son of God and cults mess that whole concept up. Um, Jesus is not inferior. He's not a junior partner. Jesus is fully, completely God. He just happens to be a God who took on human form. The Father is also God. Now, if you mean, did Jesus create everything or did the Father create everything? The answer is Jesus was the instrument of, of creation. So, Jesus created everything that is. Jesus is the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus is the one who shaped everything from nothing. 
Jesus was the creative force in creating you and me. So remember that, Henry, and you won't draw a distinction between Jesus and God because they're one and the same. They're distinct and separate in personality and personhood, but they're one. Father, my prayer is that they will be one as we are one. That's what Jesus prayed in the Gospel of John. So complete unity. Jesus isn't a junior partner. Jesus is the second person of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I always think, Henry, I like to think about Jesus holding all things together. When he holds things together, if he just took a rest for a moment, we'd all explode, implode. Hope that helps, Henry. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Antoinette from San Antonio on line one. Antoinette, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Papa Ron, hello. Good afternoon. Hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. Okay. So I just ended a conversation with a friend, um, and I guess I just need some help. We started off the conversation with it being, um, we were, she, was, she was saying things about uh, tattoo being a sin and smoking being a sin and um, those kinds of things. And I was trying to tell her, you know, no, you know, the Bible doesn't explicitly say those are sins. So if I'm wrong, I need you to correct me then. But then the, the part we got to was she said that uh, you wouldn't go to heaven if you couldn't speak in tongues. And um, I was like, ah, ah, ah. And I know, you know, for the most part, you know, when you kind of start those conversations with people, you know, you you just kind of leave it alone, you know, don't catch your pearls before swine. But that's not her. Like, she loves the Lord. She's saved. Um, but I didn't know, you know, I didn't, I, can you help me with that? <laughs> like, do you have yeah. to be able to speak in tongues to go to heaven? Um, and is there anywhere explicitly in the Bible that states, you know, smoking is a sin or tattoos and the same, but I guess the biggest part, you know, she was saying you have to be filled, and she kept going to Acts in 238, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, then you're not saved, which, you know, I'm, I believe to be true, but when she said, and you only know that you're filled with the Holy Spirit if you speak in tongues, is what got me, so um, yeah. I'll hang up and listen to you on the radio. Thank you, I, love you. I can do that. Kiss, kiss my babies for me. Yes, yes, sir, I will. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, Antoinette, she comes to our church, and she is uh, so, so delightful. And she has the three cutest babies on the face of the earth. They are just a trip. Uh, a couple of things, Antoinette. Um, it, obviously, I, I'm, I'm thinking she goes to a holiness church or a oneness Pentecostal church. Um, uh, the, the teaching there is really bad. Some of the doctrine is really, really bad. Now, the people that go there, they love Jesus and they're saved, I'm sure. Uh, but they've got a wrong picture of Jesus. Um, um, uh, sometimes they're called Jesus-only churches. But um, bad doctrine leads to conversations like this. Um, when we are saved... When we are born again, the Spirit of God comes and lives in us. Jesus, you remember, post-resurrection, uh, breathed on his disciples and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus also said that if you have not the Spirit, then you have no, no part of him. So we've got to balance those things. Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Well, that happens when we're born again. The idea in Acts chapter 2, when the, the Spirit fell and there were tongues... Uh, that were being spoken. Um, I, I don't know why some of these groups, and a lot of these are just prosperity faith type churches, and and they don't they don't really teach the Bible. They don't really understand the Bible. I don't know why they also don't insist on the sound of a mighty rushing wind and the and the cloven tongues of fire, because that's just as much a part of the experience in Acts chapter two as speaking in foreign tongues. So the idea that you have to speak in tongues to be saved is contradicted in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and again in chapter 14 when Paul talks about the gifts and then the, the application of the gifts in those two chapters. Um, do all speak in tongues? He asks the question rhetorically. The answer is clearly no. Because he says the Spirit gives gifts as he wills. 
So no, you don't have to speak in tongues in order to be saved. Um, I think God wants us to speak in tongues in the sense that it's a gift that strengthens our personal relationship with Him. It helps us to pray beyond our own understanding. I personally have the gift of tongues, but uh, I, w- I would be just as saved if I didn't. Um, so it's, it's not a sign. Acts chapter 2 is a one-time-only experience. The birth of the church, the, the, the entrance of the Holy Spirit to this earth in power, the first time. That's the sound of the mighty rushing wind, and that's the cloven tongues of fire, and the gift of the... I, I heard each man declaring the wonders of God in my own tongue, in my own language. Um, that is not to be repeated. It will never again be repeated in like manner. Now, a lot of these churches, Paula and Antoinette, um, uh, I got saved and, and received the gift of tongues right away, um, within a week. Um, I was I was at that time going to, to so many different churches because I just needed to know what was right. And one of the churches that we drive to on Sunday mornings was a prosperity church uh, in Los Angeles, uh, Guy on TV. And um, um, in an invitation he gave... Um, Ask the question, do you speak in tongues? If you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Spirit. I remember Paul looking at me and saying, is that true? And I said, I don't know. I've only been saved a short time, but he should know. Uh, And they took Paul into um, a room and tried to make her speak in tongues. They just kept yabba-dabba-doo, yabba-dabba-doo, yabba-dabba-doo kind of thing. And, and make her repeat. And finally, she was so scared and uncomfortable that she just faked it so she could leave. Um, that's horrible doctrine, and it's really, really damaging. So um, my guess is she's in a oneness church um, or a, a holiness church, Pentecostal church, and they believe wrongly that you have to speak in tongues. So uh, just show her First Corinthians 12 and First Corinthians 14. Uh, also, we can't go beyond what's written in the Word. Uh, the reason I think she's at a, in a holiness church is because they will teach very legalistic interpretations of Scripture, and they will say things are sin that really aren't sin. Uh, we know it's a sin to get drunk. It's a sin to smoke marijuana. It's a sin to, to do drugs, mind-altering things. Um, but it's not a sin just to drink. Jesus had wine. Jesus made wine from water. Uh, wine was a staple of the Oriental world in Jesus' time. Water was so bad that Paul said, Timothy, for your stomach problems, take some wine. It'll help you. So drinking is not a sin. It just says in the Bible that being drunk is. So that's the explanation um, she's immersed in that church and really doesn't care what the Bible says because this is what my church says. She's probably not going to listen, uh, but that's an issue that she's got to deal with. So, Antoinette, thank you for the call, the questions. I appreciate it, and I appreciate your heart sharing with people who are in a difficult place like this. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from Victor. He says, uh, does God tempt people to sin? Uh, Victor, the answer is no. James one thirteen says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. James will go on to say that we're tempted when we're dragged away by our own evil desires. We want something. We don't get it. Well, then the temptation comes. But, but that's a self-inflicted wound. Uh, God never can tempt anybody. God loves you, and it's not his... Um, method of of operation uh, to to tempt people to test them. Now, he tests us, but when we're tempted with sin, that's never from the Lord. Testing sometimes is from the Lord. He tests us so we'll know where our heart is. Uh, He'll test the commitments that we make to him, but never tempts us to sin because he can't. Here is a question from Jeremy. He says, did Judas hang himself or did he fall to his death? Uh, Jeremy, the answer is both of those things are true. Uh, he hung himself. Um, 
most people believe that there, and I've not been there, so I can't say, I'll tell you what I believe, but most people believe there's a, a, a place that you can actually go see uh, where Jesus would have been hanging out over a cliff. Uh, he would have been hanging long enough. When you die, your body bloats, uh, and eventually the ground gave away or the branches gave away, and he fell, um, already dead. He fell, and his insides spilled out. Uh, so uh, it's not a, a contradiction. Um, he hung himself, he fell, and uh, has been in eternal torment, Jeremy, ever since that time. So both of those things are true. Let's go to here. Nope. I've got a question trying to come in here. Oh, here it is. This one came just in from our email inbox anonymously. I was reading about a theologian named Francis Schaeffer. He was opposed to theological modernism. Uh, could you explain what that is? He also believed in a presuppositional approach to Christian apologetics, uh, which he believed would answer the questions of the age. Could you explain that too? Um, yeah, Francis Schaeffer. Now, he's got a son who's a nut, so don't confuse the two. Uh, his son has sort of abandoned... Uh, Frankie Schaefer, uh, his son has sort of abandoned all the things that Francis Schaefer um, stood for. Francis Schaefer was a well-respected theologian. Uh, when you say he was opposed to theological modernism, he, he simply held to the to the Bible that was immovable, that didn't change with the sh- changing cultures of the age. Now, we live in a time, Anonymous, where uh, there are people who say, well, you know, the Bible contains the Word of God, but it's not the Word of God. Francis Schaeffer would have said, no, it is the Word of God. And it's written, it's inerrant, it's it's immutable. Um, it is what it is, and we have to deal with it. And he was right in that approach. Um, and then you said he believed a presuppositional approach to Christian apologetics, which he believed would answer the questions of the age. I think that's like me saying... Um, all the time that the Bible has the answers to every situation you're in, every problem you're in. Uh, if you need direction, the answer's in the Bible. Uh, I know that Francis Schaeffer was a, a literalist in terms of, of understanding the Bible, and he really did believe that it had the answers to life. And so he never would have, uh, have, have changed um when he used used apologetics, that's the defense of the Christian faith, um, he did it with the Word of God. He presumed that the Word of God was true, that it was unchanging, and it had all the answers. Too bad, tragic, in fact, that his son has changed all of that. Oh, wow. Greg, uh, my, my producer just said he just looked up Francis Schaefer. Today would be his birthday. He died in 1984, but in uh, January 30th, 1984. I didn't realize it was quite that long ago. 72. 1972, wow. Or he was 72 years old. Great question. Thank you. 340, well, we, how much time we got? We got three minutes. Here's a question from our mobile app anonymously. Is there a problem with Christians who are investing in cannabis stocks? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's dirty money. Uh, you know, personally, I don't think it's a great investment. Um, but but even if it was, um, following Christ costs. So yes, um, uh, how would you, you know, that's that's like the, the, the call I get says, well, uh, is it okay to gamble? Um, yeah, I guess it's okay but why would you want to do that when when we have a sure thing in Christ? So, uh, yeah, I believe there is uh, is a problem with Christians investing in cannabis stocks. I had a question uh, the other day, and I'm going to look up more about it, but uh, somebody was asking about, uh, I think it's CBD oil or drops or something, uh, which is from, from cannabis, um, apparently or, or evidently, according to this, with, without any of the side effects. Uh, I just think we should avoid all of those things, avoid any appearance of evil. And uh, when you're messing around with uh, marijuana, cannabis, um, or or the like, I I think we're really not on very solid ground at all. Let's try to maybe make a deal. We can 
try to get through this year without seeing how much we can get away with and still be saved. Instead, let's approach our lives like how far away from sin and how close to Jesus can we get. We have two minutes. I've got one anonymous question. Since you are married to a black woman, how do you deal with people who say the Bible forbids interracial marriage? Um, I didn't know I was married to a black woman. I just, what a shock. Actually, she's a beautiful brown woman, and I'm, I'm proud of her. Uh, you know, Anonymous, I'm not making light of the question. We've, we've come across this. We've had people tell us that uh, I'm not fit to preach the gospel because I'm in an inter- interracial marriage and the Bible forbids intermarrying. Uh, I tell them all the same thing. Uh, before you open your mouth and reveal how ignorant you are, open your Bible and study. There's no distinction made in the Bible between any people groups in the world. The only distinction the Bible makes is believer and unbeliever. And in the Old Testament, when God talks about intermarrying, he's talking about Jews, his chosen people, intermarrying with pagans who don't believe. And he warned them that if you do that, then you're going to be drawn away. You're going to be worshiping false gods. And it happened all the time. Just look at the case with Solomon. So I don't pay any attention to people who say those things. Neither should you. Um, They're just demonstrating their ignorance uh, and their prejudice. And let me say this. No Christian can be prejudiced towards another people group, people for whom Jesus died. Hey, we'll be back tomorrow. Paul will be live in studio on the day day edition of the program. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.